This is the Jesus Freedom Podcast, and I am your host, Jamie Roundtree. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jesus Freedom Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be starting a series. It's going to be part one about the suffering love of Jesus or understanding the depths of his love. So listen and enjoy. On the cross, beaten and bloody, gasping for air, Jesus utters these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you go through the story of Jesus, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus doesn't call the Father the Father. He says, my God. Jesus has experienced the depths of human suffering. Viktor Frankl, who was a famous psychologist and Holocaust survivor, said he was able to move on and have a meaningful life because he found his purpose in life. In his line of work, he found that those who had suffered under the Holocaust, some were able to overcome while others did not. He warned against hedonistic pleasures that would steal a person's meaning in life. He found that those who overcame were those who found a reason to live. They found a meaning and a purpose in their life. Even though Victor was not a believer in Jesus, he found that many who had some kind of faith in God that gave them meaning, were much more likely to move on and have a fulfilling life. The key was that the individual found their purpose and meaning in life. If they knew their purpose, they they could reconcile the suffering that they went through and have a meaningful life, even in the harshest of circumstances. What What does it mean to live a fulfilling life? It means having hope. What is hope? Hope gives us a vision for the future. It's a powerful force, an energy calling us to rise above or to walk through whatever we're suffering. The Apostle Paul prayed for the believers in Rome who suffered persecution to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But woe to the individuals who have been abandoned. The pain and the wreckage it has it causes on a human soul can affect a person's whole life. Many never recover from the deep wounds of aban- abandonment. It's one thing to suffer at the hand of your enemy, but it's another to be abandoned by someone who professes to love you like a parent. It affects a person's whole outlook on life. In America, we have the highest prison population in the world. This should be surprising considering the opportunities of freedom, a powerful economy and education. But a powerful economy, freedom, and education, they can heal the deepest wounds of abandonment and fatherlessness. And most who are in prison didn't have a good father in their life. This is something only Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father, the only good Father, can heal. In Isaiah 53, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised by our iniquities, and by His stripes we are healed. Because Jesus has suffered, He can heal our wounds and our soul, and He can give us a new vision for our life. First, let's ask the question, though, why is there suffering? Isn't this a complaint many have? 
Why would a good God allow people to suffer, especially those who are innocent? To answer the question, we have to start at the beginning of the story of human history in the first three chapters of Genesis. We see that God created this world in humans, male and female, and they are the crown jewel of all of his creation. We are created in his likeness and image. It was humans, only humans, that God breathed his very breath of life into. We were created to live and be touched by the divine presence of a holy and mighty God. God placed a man and woman in the paradise garden. It was a perfect world. There was no poverty, no sickness, no suffering. This was the world God originally created, a world of perfect peace and unity between man and the woman and their creator. The creator, their father, gave them only one command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of the tree or of that tree, you will surely die. Well, the rest is history, so to speak. They ate and humans have been dying ever since. In the first chapters of Genesis, the first six chapters, we see humans chose to rebel against their creator and they chose violence, multiplying the suffering on planet Earth. And here's my point. It's easy to blame God for all of the suffering on Earth, but most of it is our fault. And what I mean by that is collectively, it is our fault. We chose to disobey his commands, and we experience the consequences of them. For an example, just imagine a moment, a world where no one ever murdered anyone. This wouldn't necessarily mean there wouldn't be any accidents like a car accident, but the world would be a much different and better place. All areas of life would be different. People wouldn't move out of bad gang-infected neighborhoods to a better neighborhood. You wouldn't need to. You would feel safe. You wouldn't worry about your life. God's commands are good, and they help us to flourish. But the gospel of Jesus does more than just dish out commands of do's and don'ts. The good news is that Jesus, or God, laid down his rights and privileges as God and humbled himself and became a man, the man Jesus. Not only that, but he endured willingly death on a cross. There's no other religion that has a God who becomes a man and willingly chooses to suffer tremendous agony and pain. But that's what Jesus did, and that's why he even came. Jesus said that the reason he came was to suffer, to be betrayed, and to be crucified, and to rise from the dead. Jesus said no one takes his life, but he lays it down, and he takes it up. What is astounding is that Jesus didn't endure a criminal's death because of injustice. Even though it was an act of injustice by those who murdered him, but from Jesus' perspective, he gave his life as a willing sacrifice. Why would he endure such suffering, especially willingly? Scriptures say that this is love. Not that we love God, but he loves us and gave his only son as a sacrifice for our sins. Elsewhere, it says that God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet still sinners. This means that even though we have rebelled and spat in the face of God, even before one thought could come into our minds to love God, he loved us first. And when God loves, he loves wholeheartedly. Jesus said, no greater love than this is the one who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus willingly endured cruelty and injustice to redeem us and to turn us from being enemies into friends. This knowledge alone is startling. Who does that? Who dies to be reconciled to their enemies? Well, Jesus does. This knowledge should wake us up to understand the depths of his great love. But this is just a starting point. It's like a glass of water. 
if you drink it, it'll change your life forever. But there's more. There's a deep well of knowledge about the love of Christ meant to heal the deepest pains of the human heart. It's living waters that spring up within us that we drink of and we'll drink of for all of eternity. Jesus told his disciples that the same love that the Father and the Son shared in all of its glory before the foundation of the world was the same love that he wanted them to know and experience. The scriptures say the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the the world. And it was John the Baptist who pointed his finger at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The cross and the suffering of Jesus was in the mind of the Father and the Son before the foundation of the world or before the world was even created. Paul says in Ephesians that before the foundation of the world, he chose us to be adopted sons and daughters, to be holy and beloved. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, what does the Father do? He pursues them. He's looking for them. The Spirit of the Lord is moving all over the earth upon your heart and mind to draw us near to a loving relationship with the Father. The problem is we do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. We hide behind pathetic and flimsy arguments that are comparable to a skimpy bikini made out of fig leaves. But we are still naked and ashamed. And some even try to justify their nakedness. Even though Jesus comes offering to clothe us with beautiful royal garments to give us back our honor and dignity, I heard a preacher say one time, the devil will help you take your clothes off, but God will help you put them back on. Isaiah 53 tells us that we can be healed through his wounds. Jesus invites us into his wounds or the fellowship of his sufferings. This this is not some weird, morbid thing. Years ago, the, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out by Mel Gibson. It shows how gruesome and gory the cross was. I only saw the movie twice. That was enough for me. But it's not seeing the grossness of the cross that changes our heart. It might help our minds kind of a little bit understand the price that was paid, but it's the application of the cross on our hearts that transforms our hearts. As we sit down and dine in fellowship with Jesus and we touch the scars on his hands and feet and side, we will proclaim like Thomas in worship and awe and wonder, my God and my Lord. He's no longer a God who is aloof or hiding behind the clouds praying, playing tricks on us, but he shares our suffering and has provided a way to be healed by the power of his love. It's seeing the beauty of his love that changes and heals our hearts. The more our hearts understand the why of the cross, the more our hearts will overflow with thanksgiving and worship. As Jesus was getting ready to die on the cross, he told his disciples that it's better that I go away. The disciples were perplexed, but if Jesus went away, meaning he was going back to the Father, he would send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's work is to help us overcome the obstacles in our hearts and mind that keep us from knowing the Father's love. He fights for us, not because the Father has a case against us. The case against us was settled at the cross when the requirements that were against us were nailed to the cross. The Holy Spirit is the dedicated advocate of the Father sent to us, and He lives in us. He helps us fight against our enemies that seek to keep us from knowing the depths of His love. He's working and moving in our hearts, seeking to draw us near to the Father. Jesus said He wouldn't leave us as orphans. In other words, He's not going to abandon us or leave us alone to figure out this new living relationship with the Father or even life in general. Jesus said, you know, the Father cares about every area of our life. 
Jesus said, look at the birds and the sparrows. They don't work, but God takes care of them. They don't go hungry. How much more valuable are you than the birds? How precious are the thoughts that the Lord has towards us? If we could count them, they would be more than all the sands of the sea. The thoughts that He thinks towards us are good, and they are innumerable. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal to us what Jesus wants us to know about Him and His glory and about ourselves in the, in the context of our relationship with the Father. In the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite bride said, I am dark but lovely. The meaning is we are sinners and our hearts were dark with sin, but He loved us and gave His life for us. After we are born again, we still fight the darkness and the sin in our bodies, but He still loves us and delights in us as we go through the struggle seeking to love Him. We're no longer defined by the darkness and the sin, but by the free gift that Christ purchased for us with His own blood. It doesn't mean it's okay to freely sin. No, we have been set free by the powers of darkness and the power of sin that held us as captives now we have been set free and transferred to the kingdom of his love. We live in a new country. We're no longer, we no longer live under a tyrant, but we live in the freedom of God's grace, freely given to us because of what Christ did on the cross. King David said in Psalms 27, even if his father and mother abandoned him, the Lord would take care of him. Jesus promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. He's proved his love and his passion towards us, and he's expressed that love to, towards us through the suffering that he went through on the cross. Let's look at a brief conversation from Dr. Frankel that he had with a patient named Anna. The following is a transcript from Frankel's advice to Anna, a 19-year-old art student who displayed severe symptoms of schizophrenia. She considered herself as being confused and asked him for help. Anna said, what's going on with me? Dr. Frankel said to her, don't brood over yourself. Don't inquire into the source of your trouble. Leave this to the doctors. We will steer and pilot you through the crisis. Well, isn't there a goal backing you, say, like an artistic assignment? The patient Anna said, but this inner turmoil that I feel... Dr. Frankel said, don't watch the inner turmoil, but gaze or turn your gaze to what is waiting for you. What counts is not what lurks in the depths, but what waits in the future, waits to be actualized by you. Anna replied, but what is the origin of my trouble? Dr. Frankel responded, don't focus on questions like that. Whatever the pathological process underlining your psychological affliction, maybe we will cure it. Therefore, don't be concerned with the strange feelings haunting you. Ignore them until we can make you get rid of them. Don't watch them. Don't fight them. Imagine there are a dozen great things, great works, which wait to be created by you, Anna. There's one, only one, who can achieve and accomplish, accomplish it but Anna. No one could replace her in this assignment. They will be your creations. But if you don't create them, they will remain uncreated forever. Anna replied, Doctor, I believe in what you're saying. It's a message that makes me happy. So what is our response? How can we move past the things that we suffered? The first thing I'm going to tell you is so simple, it might sound silly, but it's practicing thanksgiving especially in regards 
to the love of Christ. But I want to just take a few insights of what Dr. Frankel said and apply them from a biblical perspective. Gaze upon the love of Christ. Jesus said, abide in my love. In other words, stay focused on my love. Instead of looking at your suffering, look at Jesus' suffering and why he did it and how he loves you. Then go create something. Go find some work to do. Write a song. Do some painting. Give someone a cup of cold water. In other words, don't focus on you. See, as we gaze upon the love of Jesus, and then we go do something that provides value to other people, whether it's writing a song or doing a job or giving a cup of cold water, then we will be healed. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I would love to hear from you. You can contact me by email at the Jesus Freedom Podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, the Jesus Freedom Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great day.